Good morning. How are we doing this morning? You know, every time I step up here, I always seem to tell you how excited and honored I am. Today is no different. I am really excited and I'm so passionate about what God's going to share with you today. You know, we've been in a message series studying through the book of Philippians. This is week number nine, if you can believe it or not, that we've been studying through that book. And the central theme all throughout this book has all been about joy. This is Paul's joy letter, if you will, and he wrote it from a Roman prison, which is amazing to me when you think about it. Now, we started in week one where we talked about um, the joy of having people in our life and how important it is to have that community. I mean, God uniquely placed in each one of us the DNA to have relationships, not to be in isolation, but to be in community. And then we learned about how to enjoy praying. That's our way to communicate with our Heavenly Father. And you know, sometimes your prayer life can kind of plateau and you can get flattened out. Well, that message helps to remind you the power of prayer and how much joy comes from that. Then we talked about having joy no matter what. No matter your circumstances, no matter what you're going through, you can still have joy. And then we had the joy of our faith, which is Jesus himself. And there's so much joy just in that. You know, I don't need to go anywhere from there. Just in Jesus alone. And then we talked about the joy of humility, where Jesus gave us the most perfect example in all of history about being humble, right? Where he laid down his life willingly on the cross for you and for me. And then we talked about the joy of working out your salvation, right? Not working for it, but working out your salvation. And then last week, Pastor talked to us about the joy of not complaining. How many of us needed to hear that message, right? (laughs) The joy of not complaining. So today, we're going to wrap up chapter 2 in the book of Philippians, and we're going to talk about the joy of loyalty. Now, if I were to pick up a dictionary, and I would look up the word loyalty, this is what I would see. I would see that loyalty is faithfulness to commitments or obligations. Loyalty is faithfulness to something to which you're bound by a pledge or duty. Loyalty is faithfulness in the st- that is being steadfast in the face of any temptation to renounce, to desert, or to betray. It's also a strong feeling of support or allegiance. And lastly, loyalty is staying true to someone or something, even when other things call our attention. So with that definition in mind, let me ask you this. Are you loyal in your relationships? Are you loyal to Jesus? To your spouse? To your families? To your friends? How about your coworkers? Are you loyal to your leaders? Your pastor? The government? Your employer? Are you loyal to your word? To what you say you're going to do? You see, loyalty is not a luxury. It should be a lifestyle. But why is it so hard to see loyalty in our world today? Why is it so hard to see that? Where has all the loyalty gone? I look at what's happening right now in our culture, and it seems like we're living in the United Divided States, doesn't it? Loyalty is serious. It's one of the most critical character traits that you can have. Now listen, the battle lines right now are being drawn. 
It is good versus evil. It is light versus darkness. It is hot versus cold. Unfortunately, there are far too many people who are trying to straddle that fence and satisfy both sides. Listen, you can't do it. You can't be loyal to good and be loyal to evil. You can't be loyal to light and loyal to darkness. That just doesn't work. There is no middle ground. There is no lukewarm. There was an angel that told John to write a letter to the church in Laodicea with the words of Jesus in it. This is what it said. It comes from Revelation chapter 3. Jesus said this, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. What an incredibly strong warning, right? In other words, what Jesus is saying is that when you're lukewarm, it makes him sick. That is serious. Similar warning comes from James chapter 1. The Apostle James here, he says, Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. So imagine for me for a moment that you're in this small boat and you're in the middle of the ocean, right? And there's this huge storm that's swelling up. And you're being tossed to the top of the waves, and then you're back down at the bottom of the waves. And then the wind is blowing on you, and you're all over the place, right? That's what it's like when you have divided loyalty. And James goes on to say, Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world. And they are unstable in everything they do. Listen, we must choose sides. There is no straddling the fence. There are no double agents in the Christian faith. I'm sorry, but there's no 007s in Christianity. You have to choose a side. In Genesis chapter 3, we see God's side versus Satan's side. And unfortunately, Adam and Eve made the wrong choice, right? They chose to eat from the only tree in the Garden of Eden that God said not to eat from. Can you imagine? You've got free access and free reign to everything God has given. He says, don't eat from that one. And they went ahead and ate from it anyway. And we know the result, right? And then Moses says to the Israelites in Deuteronomy, this is what he says, so timely. Chapter 30, Moses says this, Today... I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. You can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying him, and committing yourself firmly to him. In other words, being loyal to him. This is the key to your life. This is the key to your life. What is being loyal to him? We have a choice. All of us do. We have that same choice today. How do you make that choice? He says it right there. By loving the Lord your God, by being obedient to him, and being loyal to him. And you know, Joshua, who was Moses' successor, he says something very similar in Joshua chapter 24. He says to the Israelites, Choose this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's what Joshua said. Can you say that? Can you say, I'm choosing today? I'm following Jesus no matter what. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Can you say that? 
Now, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus essentially says we have a choice between life and death. We have a choice between the world's way or God's way. So here's the words of Jesus. He says this in verses 13 and 14. You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. Who or what is the narrow gate? What are we talking about? Jesus, right? Jesus is the narrow gate because he says in John 14, 6, right? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. No one. Don't listen to what the world says, right? When the world said all roads lead to the same place, right? Don't listen to that because that is false. No, they don't. And your works aren't going to get you there either. Did you know I read this survey this morning, actually? It came out of Arizona Christian University did a study. And over 52% who profess Christianity believe in something other than the gospel. They believe it's their works that can get them there. Are you kidding me? Your works? It is only by his grace through faith that you get to heaven. That's it. It's only by the finished work of Jesus on what he did on the cross when he laid out his arms and he died for you and for me. Don't listen to the lies of the world that say that there's any other way because it's the narrow gate, friends. It's the narrow gate. And he goes on to say, the highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few ever find it. You see, what's shocking to me in this verse is that it says many choose the highway to hell. Why? Because it's broad, because it's easy, because when you're on that road, it's like going with the flow, isn't it? It's going with the current of the world and it's so easy, but yet only a few ever find the narrow road, which is difficult, narrow. Only few ever find that. Listen, I want all of you in this room to be on the narrow road. I want all of you to be part of that few. And you have that choice. You do. But I warn you, it is difficult and it will cost you. The narrow road of life requires absolute loyalty. Many joyfully choose to follow God. So many people raise their hand. Yes, I'm a Christian. I go to church on Sunday. I'm a good person. All of that. Many, many people do that. They call themselves Christians, but behind it all, when you peel back the veneer and you look into into their heart, they're still loyal to the world because of all it offers. Pleasures, money, security, possessions. And when things get tough, these so-called Christians are divided between sides, the world's way or God's way. The choice to follow God or the world is a reoccurring theme all throughout the Bible. You see it in the Old Testament, you see it in the New Testament. But I want to tell you, one of the most powerful verses in the Bible about choosing sides comes from Jesus himself. It's when he's teaching on money and possessions. And he says this in Matthew 6, 24, No one can serve two masters, for either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be loyal to the one and despise the other. Whose side are you on? Whose side are you on? Let's pray. Father, I just ask that you would tune our hearts into the word that you have for us this morning.
Help us, Lord, to be so focused on you that we hear no other voice but you. In Jesus' name, amen. So turn with me in your Bibles to our main text for today. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 2. And we're going to study together verses 17 through 30. Now, because of the length of this passage, I'm going to break it up into little small bite-sized chunks so we can digest it together. So I'll read a few verses, we'll stop, talk about it, and then we'll go on. Usually, I kind of read through the whole thing. I'm not going to do that this morning. But I want to be honest with you. I struggled when these, with these verses when I first read them. I really did. I was like, Lord, you want me to speak an entire message on this? That's what I said to God. I was like, really? And you'll see when we go through it that there really aren't any verses here that are incredibly famous. Right? It's like, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. How many have seen that just about everywhere? You can go into Hobby Lobby and you can find it all over the place, can't you? There is nothing like that in today's verses. It's not like you, it's not you, you typically see on Facebook or Pinterest or blasted everywhere. It's different today. And at first glance, we can easily miss the deeper meaning. And so the Lord reminded me when I was studying. He reminded me of the words that Paul used in his second letter to Timothy. All right, this is what Paul said to Timothy. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All scripture, that means from Genesis to Revelation, every single bit of it is inspired by God. Now, God used over 40 different authors across 66 different books over a span of more than 2,000 years. Yes, that's true, but it is still the inspired word of God, and it is useful to teach us, to correct us, to rebuke us, and to train us. I had to pray, read, study, and repeat over and over and over again until I finally saw what God wanted me to share with you today. And I discovered that to experience the joy of loyalty, there are three principles that we must follow. Now, principles, you might remember, are fundamental truths that you can make a foundation upon. They never change. They are absolute. So I'm going to use our text today in chapter 2, the book of Philippians. I'm going to use that uh, to explain these three principles that we must follow if we want to experience the joy of loyalty. So let's pick up in verse 17. In chapter 2 in the book of Philippians. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. He says, But I will rejoice, even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God. And I want all of you to share that joy. Yes, you should rejoice, and I will share your joy. Now, a liquid offering was typically a cup of wine that is poured out either beside the burnt offering or over the burnt offering. Okay, you want to know more about that? You can read through the book of Numbers and they'll tell you all about it. Okay, (laughs) but Paul was using that here as a metaphor. He was using that as a metaphor for his life. I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like with liquid offering to God. Now, this brings us to the first principle that we must follow to experience the joy of loyalty. And that is this. Loyalty must have priority. Loyalty must have priority. There is a priority when it comes to your loyalty. Now, before I tell you what that priority is, look back at our text 
Who did Paul pour out his liquid offering to? Who did he pour it out to? Pour it out like a liquid offering to, to God. Well, there's the key right there. That's the key to our priority. You ready for it? You ready for the priority? It's really easy to remember. Here it is. Jesus first, others second, and you last. Jesus, others, you. When you get that right, you will have joy. You see that? You get that right, you will have joy. Jesus, others, you. Loyalty must have priority. There is no greater allegiance. There is no greater devotion. There is no greater commitment. And there is no greater loyalty than to Jesus Christ. Paul says, I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God. To God. He must be our highest and most important loyalty that we have. Nothing in all this world can compare. Nothing in all this world should ever compete for our loyalty to him. Now, Jesus sums up what's required of us in Luke chapter 14. Now, I've got to warn you, I'm about to get up in your business for a minute, okay? I am. I'm about to get up in your business, but before you get upset at me, just remember these are not my words. These are the words of Jesus. So here we go. Luke chapter 14. Jesus says, If you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. Now, in other translations, it doesn't have the words by comparison in there. So at first glance, you can miss this and think, what is Jesus saying here? Is he saying I got to hate everybody to follow him? That's not what he's saying. Jesus is using a hyperbole here. He's saying that you got to love him and be loyal to him. You're way up here when you have that to him, right? And by comparison, this translation says that your love and loyalty to everyone and everyone else is way down here, Right? You get it? There's this, I can't even reach that high. There's this huge gap between how much you should love and be loyal to Jesus compared to anyone else. That's what he's saying here in the text. You guys got that? We we good? Okay, cool. Now I left out verses 29 through 32 on purpose, okay? Because God, or Jesus uses some illustrations here. And I'm going to talk through them rather than read them. But the first point here is verse 28. But don't begin until you count the cost. In other words, don't start. Don't come to know Jesus. Don't give your life to him until you have counted the cost, right? And then Jesus goes on to give two illustrations. One of them is about like a construction project. Don't start that construction project until you analyze it and figure out whether you have enough money to complete it, right? Do you have enough materials? Do you have enough money to complete that construction project? Because if you don't, everybody's going to laugh at you he says. And then the second illustration is about going to war. You would never want to go to war with your 10,000 troops against 20,000 troops without sitting down with your advisors and figuring out, can you win this war? Would you? So Jesus brings this all home and he sums it up in verse 33. You cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. See, there's the cost. The cost of following Jesus is everything. 
It's everything. I got so excited, I got way off my notes. <laughs> That's the kind of loyalty that Jesus demands when you give up everything. But listen, rather than looking at what you've got to give up, I would rather all of you look at what you can gain. Look at what you can gain rather than what you can get up. Jesus says this in Luke chapter 18. Okay, and he's saying this in response to the apostle Peter who says, Lord, we gave up everything to follow you. We gave up our houses and all that. We gave up our livelihood. We gave up our homes. We gave up our families. This is Jesus' response. He says, yes, and I assure you that everyone who has given up house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will be repaid many times over in this life and will have eternal life in the world to come. That's worth it right there, isn't it? Giving up everything and this is what you get? Woo! That should get some of you guys excited right there. When you have that kind of loyalty, it is worth it. Yes, it will cost you, but look at what you can gain. So our loyalty must have priority. And that priority is Jesus, others, you. And when you get that right, you will have joy. Now, let's pick up in verse 19. We're going to keep going in our text. Paul says, if the Lord Jesus is willing, I hope to send Timothy to you soon for a visit. Then he can cheer me up by telling me how you're getting along. I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares about your welfare. All the others care only for themselves and not for what matters to Jesus Christ. But you know how Timothy has proved himself. Like a son with his father, he has served with me in preaching the good news. See, Paul makes it clear here that the only one who genuinely cares... It's Timothy. Out of all the people that Paul could have named here, he chose to speak of Timothy. Timothy is a great example of selflessness. Timothy was Paul's disciple who faithfully served with him in preaching the good news. Now, a few weeks ago, I spoke to you about the joy of humility. And in that message, I outlined the greatest example that history has on humility. And that was of Jesus Christ dying on the cross. I also shared with you in Philippians 2.5 where Paul says that we must have the same attitude as Jesus. Right? We must have the same attitude as Jesus. He was speaking directly about not being selfish and not looking out for others as more than yourselves. So now Paul here in this text is giving us yet another example when he's talking about Timothy. And you know, honestly, it sometimes can be very hard to relate to Jesus, isn't it? I mean, after all, he lived a perfect life. How many of us can say we could do that? Sometimes it can be hard to relate to, or relate to Jesus. And then Paul, in the very beginning of our text, he gives himself as an example. He says, I gave my life as a poured out like a liquid offering to God. Sometimes it's even hard for us to relate to the Apostle Paul. Why? He was like some super apostle. It's like a superhero. It's like the first superhero or something, right? I mean, it's crazy when you look at his life and you look at all that he went through, the kind of focus that he kept, right? He kept this incredible focus on serving the Lord and remaining loyal to him no matter what was going on in his circumstances. Remember where he wrote this letter from, a Roman prison. So Paul, 
We have the example of Jesus. We have himself as an example, Paul. He now gives us the example of Timothy. And Timothy was someone, the word says here, he genuinely cared for the needs of others and who had proved himself. And so that, that brings me to the second principle that we must follow to experience the, loyal, the joy of loyalty. And that is this. Loyalty must have intentionality. Loyalty must have intentionality. To be loyal, you must be intentional. You must be purposeful. You must be persistent. It takes work. One of the greatest enemies of loyalty is ourselves. Our self is always competing for the most attention, the most satisfaction, the most happiness. Loyalty must have intentionality. Now, last week, Pastor Bruce talked to us about not complaining. He said that one of the cousins of complaining is nagging, right? Did you know that there's another cousin to complaining? Yeah, there is. And its name is called gossiping. The Bible provides plenty of warning about the dangers of gossiping and how devastating that this is to our relationships. I could speak an entire message on just that subject. I won't do that today, but I could. If we genuinely care and are loyal in our relationships, we will not engage in gossiping. This is crucial to maintaining loyalty. If you want to destroy loyalty, then start gossiping. Or start facilitating gossiping. You know what facilitating gossiping is? That's when somebody comes to you with a great nugget of information or a lie and you listen to it and you consume it and you don't redirect that person. That is facilitating it. Both of them, gossiping and facilitating it, are just as bad. There is nothing good that comes from that. So if we genuinely care about others like Paul is saying here about Timothy, we won't do that. We will not do that. We will be intentional about how we care for others. And when you genuinely care, you love, you stay committed, you forgive, you work things out. When you genuinely care, you invest your time and all that you are in other people. So let me ask you, what's in your life that's competing for your loyalty? Is it in what you watch? Are you watching things that are competing for your loyalty to the ones you love? Are you? Are you listening to things that are challenging your loyalty? Are you reading things that will ultimately battle against your loyalty? Loyalty must have intentionality. We've got to eliminate those things that jeopardize our loyalty. Perhaps it's some sin habit that you're caught up in. You might be wrapped up in some kind of sin habit. Listen, if that's you, I encourage you, pray. Seek help. Don't try to cover it up because everything that is hidden will eventually be exposed. And I encourage you that if that's you, seek help, come out of it. Don't try to hide it. God sees everything and the longer that you're in it, the harder it is to come out and the more harm that you do to yourself and to those who love you. And listen, God is faithful. He is faithful. So if that's you, repent. Repentance is when you have a change of mind and you change directions. You turn away from that, you turn to him. That's repentance. 
And God is faithful. He says in 1 John 1, 9, it says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is a promise. All right? And it takes some humility to do that, to admit when we're wrong sometimes. So if you're caught up in some sin, man, give it to him and get out of that. Loyalty must have intentionality. We have to decide on purpose to be loyal. We have to walk this out in genuinely caring for others. We have to resist anything and anyone that would compete for our loyalty. Now, there are three principles that we must follow to experience the joy of loyalty. Number one, we must, loyalty must have priority. And that priority is Jesus, others, you. You get that right? And you will have joy. Number two, loyalty must have intentionality. We must be purposeful and persistent. And number three is, it's coming. Hang with me. Have I got you in suspense? <laughs> Let's first jump back in our text. Verse 23. I hope to send him, he's talking about Timothy, to you just as soon as I find out what is going to happen to me here. And I have confidence from the Lord that I myself will come to see you soon. Meanwhile, I thought I should send Epaphroditus back to you. He is a true brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier. And he was your messenger to help me in my need. And I am sending him because he has been longing to see you, and he was very distressed that you heard he was ill. Now you remember that Paul started out our text today by giving himself as an example to follow when he said his life is poured out, like a liquid offering to God. And then Paul gave us the example of Timothy, who was the only one who genuinely cares, and he was selfless. Now Paul gives us yet another example in Epaphroditus. How would you like to have the name Epaphroditus? You know? I had half a mind to call him E or Ephrap or something short, you know, so I wouldn't mess up his name today. Epaphroditus. (laughs) He... so Paul refers to him as a true brother, a co-worker, a fellow soldier. In other words, he was family. He rolled up his sleeves and he went right alongside Paul and he did the work of the ministry. And he was a fellow soldier fighting for righteousness and for spreading the gospel. You see, Epaphroditus was just a messenger. He was an everyday person just like you and me, right? You can't relate to Jesus. You can't relate to Paul. Maybe you can't even relate to Timothy, but we can all relate to Epaphroditus, all right? We all can relate to him. And he was loyal unto death. We'll see that in just a minute as we go forward here in our text. But notice here how much Epaphroditus genuinely cared. You can see it because... If you look, the word says that he was longing to see you. In other words, he was longing to see the people of Philippi. Those are who he was delivering a message to. And he was very distressed that he heard that they had heard he was ill. You see, he wasn't seeking attention or any kind of pity for his illness. He was more worried about uh, them worrying about him than he was himself, right? When you're loyal, you care more about others than you do yourself. Now, we're going to move on to our last bit of text here, starting in verse 20. I told you this was long. I might have lost you guys in the beginning if I tried to read this whole thing, right? You can thank Pastor for that, because he assigned me this text. (coughs) And he certainly was ill. In fact, he almost died, but God had mercy on him and also on me, 
so that I would not have one sorrow after another. So I am all the more anxious to send him back to you, for I know you will be glad to see him, and then I will not be so worried about you. Welcome him in the Lord's love and with great joy, and give him the honor that people like him deserve. For he risked his life for the work of Christ, and he was at the point of death while doing for me what you couldn't do from far away. So Epaphroditus, he risked his life. Are you willing to risk risk your life for the work of Christ? Are you? It's not enough to have just intellectual faith. I'm here to tell you, it is not enough to just have some sort of academic understanding of who God is or the Bible. We have to live out our faith. James says in James chapter 1 to not just listen to the word, but do what it says. In other words, we all should be doers of the word. If we've professed our allegiance to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, then we have an obligation to live out our faith. We have an obligation to do this, even if it means we face death for doing so. That's the kind of loyalty that Jesus expects and is looking for in each and every one of us. And that brings me to the third and final principle that we must follow to experience the joy of loyalty. Loyalty must have finality. Loyalty must have finality. This means that our loyalty must be final. It doesn't change when things get uncomfortable or inconvenient or difficult. No, true loyalty loves and true loyalty lasts. If you're married, you should understand this principle because when you got married, you made the commitment to love your spouse till death do you part in sickness and in health. Now, I know things happen. I get it. And it takes two to be loyal. I understand that. But God's design from the beginning was for marriage to be permanent, to be final. His word says that what God has joined together, let not man separate. Loyalty must have finality. If you've served in the military, you understand the commitment to serve your country and to protect it against enemies, all enemies, foreign and domestic, right? There is no compromise. There is no turning back. Loyalty must have finality. Now, last Sunday, 13 of you, I'm not sure if it was 12 or 13, I heard pastors say 12 and I've heard 13, but there was a bunch of you last week, all right, that got baptized. Let's put it that way. There was a whole bunch of you that got baptized. That is so exciting, isn't it? To see people profess their faith publicly and be baptized and taking that step of obedience. Man, there's something. I I get so fired up when people get saved and when people get baptized. Something in your spirit ought to just come out, you know, when that happens. Because that's what it's about. That's what church is about right there, man. Seeing people get connected to Jesus. So just before being baptized, Pastor Bruce asked this question. He said, will you commit to following Jesus for the rest of your life? Why does he ask this? Because following Jesus is a lifelong commitment. It's a pledge of loyalty with no contingencies. It's I'm stepping in out from the world and I'm saying I'm 100% in Jesus and I'm following you for the rest of my life. That's the declaration that you're making. That's the commitment that you're making because loyalty must have finality. So let me illustrate this principle just a little bit more for you. How many of you are familiar with the story of Daniel? 
in the lion's den. Yeah, pretty famous story. Now, King Darius of Babylon, he was King Nebuchadnezzar's successor. And he made a law that no one for the next 30 days could pray to anyone except him. And if you violated that law, you got thrown into the lion's den. That was the law of the land. So, I want you to see how Daniel responds to that. This comes from Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. He says, but when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home, knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with his windows open toward Jerusalem. And he prayed three times a day, just as he always had done, giving thanks to his God. It was an official law of the land, and yet Daniel defied it openly. He didn't try to hide. Notice that the windows were open, right? Toward Jerusalem, weren't they? Anyone walking by could have seen or heard what he was doing. Daniel did what he always had done. He prayed as usual to his father in heaven. He didn't freak out. He didn't write on Facebook about how stupid the law was, right? He didn't do that or how angry he was. No, he prayed and he gave thanks as he always had done. Even in the face of death, he remained loyal to his God, his Father. So how does this relate to today? Well, many will quote Romans chapter 13 as the end-all be-all for submitting to government, won't they? But notice what Daniel did here. He refused human law because God's law always trumps human law. Always. Amen. He was not willing to compromise his faith or his loyalty even to save his own life. How many so-called Christians will do just the opposite when their lives are on the line? Loyalty must have finality. Now, I'm going to give you an example from the New Testament. I just gave you one from the Old Testament. If we look in the book of Acts, the Sadducees told Peter and the apostles not to teach in the name of Jesus. In other words, it was a mandate, wasn't it? It wasn't a law. The Sadducees were the ruling authority of the day. They didn't issue a law, but they issued a mandate, which is what we've got today, right? Yeah. Okay, and I want you to hear how Peter and the apostles respond in Acts chapter 5, verse 29. They say this. We must obey God rather than human authority. That's our charge today. We must be loyal to the Lord God Almighty no matter what human authority says, no matter what threat we face, because loyalty must have finality. True loyalty lasts. Now, let me bring this a bit closer to home. You guys knew about what happened in California. Pastor talked about it. We watched a little video on it. California's governor banned indoor gatherings for churches in mid-July. This is when this happened. Of course, they started with the craziness of saying you couldn't sing, couldn't chant or anything like that in church. Such an overreach by the government. And then Pastor John MacArthur of Grace Community Church, along with his elders, they issued a very strong statement for the biblical case for the church's duty to remain open. Now, many of you have read this statement because we provided copies of it and put it out there on the information desk for you. And if you didn't get a copy, I'm sure we can get one in your hands. But I'm going to read just the first paragraph. This is what it says. Christ is Lord of all. 
He is the one true head of the church. He is also king of kings, sovereign over every earthly authority. Grace Community Church has always stood immovably on those biblical principles. As his people, we are subject to his will and commands as revealed in Scripture. Therefore, we cannot and will not acquiesce to a government-imposed moratorium on our weekly congressional worship or other regular corporate gatherings. Compliance would be disobedience to our Lord's clear commands. Now, as you can imagine, this created quite a stir in both the secular and the evangelical communities. But they were willing to take a stand because their loyalty to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is higher than any authority on this earth. Are you willing to take a stand? When you take a stand, you're going to get shots fired at you, believe me. You will. Are you willing to take a stand even if it costs you? Are you willing to lay down your life if necessary? That's the kind of loyalty that Jesus demands if you're to follow him. And no human authority should ever have any bearing on your loyalty and your faithfulness to the Lord God Almighty. And believe me when I say this, your loyalty will be tested. It will be. It's only a matter of time. Are you more loyal to God or to man? That's what it comes down to. Are you more loyal to God or to man? Which is it? Now, Satan is our enemy. And his mission is to steal, kill, and destroy. He will do everything in his power to divide and challenge your loyalty. It's amazing to me to see how cannibalistic that Christians can be of one another. Some of the greatest pain that I have ever experienced in my life has unfortunately come from people who profess to be Christians. God calls us to be in unity. We all should have our weapons pointed in the same direction. Now, I'm not talking about physical weapons here. So hear me on this. This is a spiritual battle that we're, that we're fighting against. And we shouldn't be fighting with one another. We got an enemy who's doing that for us. We don't need to help him out. Come on. God calls us to be in unity with one another. And that means we should have our spiritual weapons pointed at every kind of evil that seeks to come against everything that is good and that challenges God's authority. Satan loves it when he gets us to turn on one another. Man, he loves that. Creating division is his specialty. But I want to encourage you to remain loyal to the body of Christ. And you should protect that unity no matter the cost. This is his church. Loyalty must have finality. Now, Paul gave us tremendous examples to follow in our text today. He gave himself as an example, as well as Timothy and Epaphroditus. Clearly, all three of these men were loyal even if it would cost them their lives. They did not fear dying while serving the Lord, and neither should we. Because loyalty is not a luxury, it should be a lifestyle. And so to experience the joy of loyalty, there are three principles that you must follow. Loyalty must have priority. And that priority is Jesus, others, you. You get that right, and you will have joy. Loyalty must have intentionality. 
We must be purposeful and we must be persistent. And loyalty must have finality. It must be final. It doesn't change when things get uncomfortable or inconvenient or difficult. No, true loyalty loves and true loyalty lasts. So, how strong is your loyalty? Who or what are you willing to die for? Let's pray. Father, you are the Lord God Almighty. And I am so thankful that those of us who profess Jesus as Savior, we're on the winning side because we know how all this is going to end. Thank you, Jesus. I pray, Lord, that you'd give us the courage and the boldness to walk in faith with you, even through what we're going to be going through, even when our loyalty is challenged. So I pray, Father, if there's someone here that doesn't know you, Jesus, that you stir their heart. If that's you and you want to make that profession today, that you want to make Jesus your Lord and Savior, that you want to profess him and be loyal to him, just slip up your hand and I will pray for you. Do you want, thank you, do you want to accept Jesus into your heart today? Choose today whom you will serve. Anyone else? Okay, pray this prayer with me. Lord God, I realize that I am a sinner and today I choose to follow you and I want to make you Lord and Savior of my life. I believe in you because I know you are the Son of God and you laid down your life willingly and died on the cross for my sins. And on the third day you rose again. And I thank you for it. I accept that. I believe that. And I now commit my life to you from this day forward. If that's you, welcome to the kingdom of God. Others of you may be here today and you may feel something stirred in your heart that says, you know, I haven't been loyal. I've gotten been trying to straddle that fence between the world and God and I don't want to do that anymore. Well, I want to encourage you that today is that day that you can make that right, that you can repent and you can have a clean slate going forward because what does God's word says? It says his mercies are fresh every morning. We thank you, Jesus, for that. I pray, Lord God, as we go forth from here, that this loyalty will be contagious, that you would protect this body and that you'd keep us unified on the gospel of Jesus Christ. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you'll stand for our closing song.